So we're going to start a little series uh, for Advent. Uh, we're going to call it uh, the Epic Glorious Adventure. Epic Glorious Adventure. And uh, the idea is that if you're, if you're a little bit like me and you're, you know, a Christian in North America, it's a challenge for us to weigh and balance uh, our lives that are really firmly rooted in uh, fact and in history and in uh, material and in the, the day-to-day reality we face, uh, knock on wood, all of that stuff that we uh, go through in, in just the moments of our lives with this incredible story that we uh, see over Christmas uh, with the supernatural happening and all of this stuff going on. And we as people, we sort of wrestle with in our lives, like, I, w- I want to live like a normal, solid life like everyone else, but I think there's more. I think there's more to this story. And when we read the Bible story, there's, there's more there. How do I let that be in my life and how do I encounter it? How do I leave, lead a little bit more of an epic life than I'm leading? How many of you sometimes, like maybe in particular Monday mornings on the way to work, are thinking you would like to lead a slightly more epic life than you're leading right now, right? right? So that's just something that, that we experience and something we go through. Uh, together. So we're just going to look at, uh, just going to start plowing through some scripture. We're going to look at the book of Luke, uh, chapter 1, and, uh, and look at some of the, the amazing things in that story. And, and you'll just, just have to trust me to unpack that as we go. I'm going to just start by reading uh, the text. Luke chapter 1, uh, verses 1 to 4 say this. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having examined all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you've been taught. Okay, so this is Luke introducing the incredible big Jesus story, the narrative that he's going to tell uh, all about Jesus, all that he's studied, all that he's researched. And Luke is a doctor. He's a well-educated person. And what he wants to do is he wants to tell you about the amazing facts of the case, the amazing things that actually happened in and around the life of Jesus. And he's starting, of course, with the story of the birth of Jesus. Uh, this phrase that he uses, things that have been accomplished, is actually, when I sort of began to unpack that and look at it in the Greek, it's actually the longest Greek word I've ever, uh, I've ever encountered. I didn't even know that one was in there. Uh, but what it basically means is bearing the work of God to the fullest extent. Why don't you say the word? Yeah, I'm not even going to say the word. No, it's not going to happen. But the story is like, it's like, I want to tell you the story that, that fully bears the work of God, that just carries the whole thing, the whole picture, the whole thing. And, and again, as sort of a scientific historian kind of person, I want you to know the facts of the case. And of course, he used this long word to do it, uh, which made me think about long words. And so I looked up the longest German word uh, in the English language, which is, I'm not going to say that one either. Uh, but somebody made that up, and it's sort of a made-up German word that was made, I think, in 2003, and it means Association for Subordinate Officials of the Head Office Management of the Danube Steamboat Electrical Services. 
So there can just be long words that don't mean anything at all. And, uh, and there can be words that, that, that are sort of pregnant with meaning that's important for us. And I think that's what uh, this word that we were talking about uh, in the Greek is. That, that Luke is going to give you a story that is trying to give you the fullest picture. And again, from his perspective, in an orderly, historical, organized, factual way. But oddly, his story is full of crazy things like a visitation by the angel Gabriel, shepherds being visited by an army of angels, wise men following signs in the stars, a priest being struck dumb by a cranky angel, uh, said priest's wife being filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesying, a postmenopausal woman having a baby, a virgin having a baby by the Holy Spirit, and two babies somehow in utero trying to give each other a fist pump. Like, 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 what's going on? Like, this is this is this does not compute for our North American minds, right? We've got, uh, we've got like fact, history. We want to pin that down. We want to anchor it in history. And then it's this crazy story of angelic visitations and healings, and miracles, and and all of this. And how do we as people uh, balance that out? And, and the reality is, is we we actually love this stuff. Like, how many of you like love the crazy parts of the story? Like, you love the crazy parts of the story. W- would you go see it in a movie? Like, like, like if the special effects were okay? Like, if it was directed by Peter Jackson or something like that, right? And, uh, you know, like, like, they spent a little bit. It wasn't like one of those low-budget Jesus movies. It was like a high-budget Jesus movie. Like, like you go see it, right? But would you necessarily want it to be part of your life? And that's the wrestle for us. We love to view this. We love to think about these histories. We love to think about these stories. But somehow, uh, when we imagine these things breaking into our real lives, what's your, what's your real reaction a lot of the time? <coughs> right? It's a little bit of fear. It's a little bit of, of anxiety. But the reality is we love it. We love these stories. Uh, every year, sometime... Uh, after Christmas, usually it's Boxing Day or whatever, and most of the church services are done, and uh, we're, we're sort of able to take that time between Christmas and New Year's and decompress. I do a, a crazy thing, and I re- begin to read Lord of the Rings almost every year, which is crazy to read a book that many times. Actually, it's only in the last couple of years that I haven't read it. But we love it. I love that epic adventure getting taken into this incredible space. Like, I mean, the hobbits and the ring... And it's all happening, and my earpiece is going crazy. And um, the hobbits in the ring, and uh, Gandalf, and wizards, and they're going down, and, and Sauron, and it's all happening. It's like this crazy, crazy adventure. And it's epic, and it's huge, and it's this giant created world. And for some of you, the world that you love to enter is uh, Star, Star Trek, or some of you, it's Star Wars, or whatever it is. We like to enter these huge spaces and find this incredible story. And this is something that uh, C.S. Lewis loved. Uh, C.S. Lewis loved uh, those big stories. He was a scholar uh, emphasizing, uh, you know, the study of uh, medieval literature. And, uh, and he, he was sort of approaching Christianity as a young man before he came to faith with the idea that, you know, real history is boring. Like myths, uh, you know, while we know they're false, they give meaning and joy. They might be lies, but they're lies breathed through silver. Like there's something beautiful and captivating and amazing about all of these ancient stories that, that he was experiencing in, in early uh, literature. And, and one of his objections and one of his wrestles 
uh, around Christianity was if we say that Christianity is true, if we say that it's real, uh, we have to concede that all these other stories just aren't worth our attention. And he's a person didn't want his life to be grounded in reality quite that much. And in fact, because Christianity, in the way he was imagining it from his background, from his uh, religious upbringing, was sort of a, a staid and, and quiet and conservative sort of Anglican background. And he, he, he kind of didn't identify with the, the very cerebral aspects of that. And this is, this is an academic speaking. He, he wanted something with, with more adventure. Uh, to it, and then of course the other objection to to Christianity that comes with you know loving all of those old myths, Horus and Dionysus, and all of those old ancient stories, all of the Norse mythology, all of that stuff, is that uh, even like apologists or are always wrestling with this question. I'm sure you've wrestled with it. Uh, when people come to you and are saying uh, about Christianity, well, Christianity is just like uh, extrapolating and taking all of these ancient stories uh, and, and, and sort of weaving them into some tale that happened 2,000 years ago. But really, it's just the story of Bacchus and it's the story of this, the story of that. All these kind of ancient stories woven in. And that was part of C.S. Lewis's issue too. Like, Christianity isn't an original story. And so he was wrestling with this. Like, like how do I wrestle with this kind of boring Christian world that, that, that everybody wants me to be a part of. But um, I love these wild and crazy stories. And that, that was his wrestle. And for a lot of us, that's, that's our wrestle too. Until the point for C.S. Lewis where he went for a walk with his friend J.R. Tolkien uh, at a place called uh, Addison's Walk at, at Magdalen College in Cambridge uh, in, in England. And they, sorry, Oxford. Oh yes, I, I thought you might catch that. Um, we have an Oxford scholar in the room, so I'm playing little games with my uh, father-in-law. So, um, yeah. So, uh, so they went for this this incredible walk uh, on this just this little trail. Three guys: J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, C.S. Lewis, and Hugo Dyson. And uh, what came out of that that talk, as C.S. Lewis was wrestling with these issues, was uh, was Tolkien basically came to him and said, "You know what? Um, Christianity isn't isn't a myth, and it's not just." grounded in fact it's 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 actually the true myth every other myth that's happened every other thing that you've seen every other story that's out there uh that are seeded into humanity's consciousness they're actually reflections of the story of jesus that was about to happen that god put some of those seeds in people's hearts uh, before Jesus walked the earth, that, that even pagan cultures, Jesus was seeding his story in them all around the world so that when the story of Jesus was finally told, uh, people would begin to identify and begin to see, hey, there's something there that connects with me. So Christianity, what, what J.R.L. Tolkien was saying to C.S. Lewis, is that Christianity is the, the myth, is the story, is the true thing that every other culture and every other idea is reflecting and trying to get to and trying to lead us to. And the way C.S. Lewis processed that uh, was after that conversation was that was actually an idea that was really important to him in terms of leading him uh, to faith. He, he said this just a few weeks later in a letter to another friend. He said, I've definitely crossed over from believing in God to believing in Christ. He came to see that God was not just some idea out there, but that in Jesus was the fulfillment 
of, of all of these stories that, that, that in Jesus it became personal. And he said this uh, in another letter. He said, I know very well when, but not how the final step was taken. I was driv driven to Whipsnade one sunny morning. When we set out, I did not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And when we reached the zoo, I did. <laughs> Yet I had not exactly spent the journey in thought. Something transformed his heart because he became open to the idea that at the center of humanity and what it is, was the story of Jesus. And his heart was changed. Uh, later on, he explains this dynamic, all of the other stories, all of the other epic tales uh, in the world that are, that are out there, that are a piece of our, our consciousness as a culture, how they reflect and, and point us to Christianity. He says this uh, later on in his life, God is more than a God, not less. Christ is more than Horus, not less. We must not be nervous about parallels and pagan Christs. They ought to be there. Uh, it would be a stumbling block if they weren't there. We must not, in false spirituality, withhold our imaginative welcome if God chooses to be mythopoic. For this, Christianity is the marriage of heaven and earth. Perfect myth, story, perfect fact claiming not only our love and our obedience, but also our wonder and delight. And that's what Christianity is meant to be for us. Something that captures our wonder and delight, not just teaches us stuff about God. Now the teaching us stuff about God peace is wonderful, but it's meant to capture our hearts. It's meant to capture our hearts. And that's why we have Luke in this incredible story saying, I'm going to outline for you uh, a factual account of what actually happened. Oh, and by the way, there are angels. <laughs> what? Like, give me a break, Luke. Like, what are you talking about? So that's what, that's what our longing is, really, as, as people. We have this longing uh, to have a life that's full of wonder and delight. And, and don't you want your life to be full of, of epic adventures? Don't you want your life to be full of faith, be full of more than just knowledge of Christianity, but, but experience of it? So we're going to go on into the story for just a minute into Luke chapter 1, uh, going on to 525. And I'm just going to read a rather lengthy piece of the biblical text just for us to get the story together. So hang with me. And, uh, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get through and we'll begin unpacking it a little bit. In the days of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife. Uh, sound men are invisible, by the way, just so that you know. Um, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, uh, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. 
But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your wife has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth, your, your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn uh, many of the children of Israel to their Lord, their God, and he will go before him uh, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zacharias said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the story goes on, and Elizabeth actually uh, has the baby. But we're just going to look at this little piece. So here we are, uh, Luke, and we're just going to just look at the first couple of words there, in the days of Herod. So again, Luke, at this point in the story, is still anchoring it as a place in a certain place in time. If you're here and you're um, uh, uh, a, a seeker, if you're here and you're wondering, is Christianity real? Is it true? Is there anything I can actually learn from this? One of the things that makes Christianity a religion that stands out from the religion of the words world, I, I've read the Bhagavad Gita and, and various other uh, writings from, from other faiths. And Christianity by far is the most clearly anchored in history. If you look at Christianity and look at the book and look at the story, uh, you have the names and the places and the genealogies and the details and the dates. Unlike any other book, Christianity is rooted in a story. It's rooted in a fact. Again, that's a really important uh, part to Luke. But the other thing he does with this phrase uh, when, he, when he talks about Herod is he introduces to you in this incredible story, he introduces you to Sauron. He introduces you to the big anti-hero, uh, to the big uh, arch nemesis, to the big bad guys, right? And that's Herod. Herod was a really bad guy. Uh, just to look at the story and look at who Herod was uh, in the time. Herod was a king that was not a well-loved king by the people of Israel. He had betrayed them. He would colluded with the Romans. Uh, and he was uh, doing his own thing. One of the notable things that we know from the life of Herod is that he really liked getting rid of people who were in his way. And he actually... Presumably, uh, Caesarea Philippi, we've talked about that place before in sermons in the spring. He actually built himself a palace up in Caesarea Philippi uh, with, from, from some of the things we know with the express purpose of that being a place where he could kill off people he didn't like very much because it was turning out to be not so good for him politically to be killing off everybody in Jerusalem. So he would invite them up to his place in, in Caesarea Philippi and strangely, they all seemed to drown in his pool. This little piece of history we have from Josephus is that they just they just couldn't swim and just they they just there was something wrong with with, with that they they I don't know whether he was tying rocks around their feet or what he was doing but he was he was taking people out like he was a bad dude and and so we have that thing in the story and again in this incredible story of Jesus and I think in our story too uh, we have to be aware that there's an enemy and we have to be aware that a big part of the story uh, of Christianity for us is understanding that the whole thing is about establishing the rightful king over a broken world. 
establishing the rightful king over a broken world. And a really good question for us to ask ourselves at this stage is, where are you sort of in conflict with uh, this crazy world that we're, that we're fighting in, right? Like the, the world is a, is a broken place, right? It's a broken place. Like there's taxes and everything. Like, like it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a busted up place. And a big part of your story as people who are bringing the kingdom of God is to say, will I be a part of establishing the rule and reign of the true king of the earth in his world? And this is what he's introducing. And so when we begin to talk about miracles and signs and wonders and all of the things that make this epic adventure worthy of being a sci-fi film, the plot line is get the king back on the throne. Remember I said I love reading, you know, Lord of the Rings. I'm an incredible nerd uh, when it comes to that stuff. But that whole story and so many other stories in literature are about that theme. Like Aragorn, Aragorn has to get on the throne. He's this king who's serving. But Sauron is not going to be defeated until Aragorn is seated on his throne and he's commanding the armies of, of Gondor. And they're, and they're going to do, am I just too much of a nerd for all of you? Like, am I just a, I'm just a huge geek. Uh, that's okay. I, it's, yeah. Oh, thanks, baby. My wife still loves me. That's good. Right? right? But that's the epic story. And you need to know, like, for your life and what you're supposed to be a part of, you're supposed to be a part of that epic story. That's your purpose. That's your mission. You are there to help install the true king on his throne. Now, we know he's already on his throne, but you're there to let everybody know about it. And say to everybody, that's the king. That's the guy we're going to follow. That's who we're going after. That's the purpose for which you were put on the earth. The purpose for which uh, you came uh, to him. So that's just a really important piece. And then Luke goes on to do this uh, right, right next. He says, hey, by the way, I'm going to introduce you to uh, Zechariah and, and Elizabeth. By the way, they were both righteous and Elizabeth was barren. So right away, what he does in the story is he says, hey, these people are doing it all right. They're doing great. They're following God the best way they know. They're amazing, righteous, incredible people. Um, and hey, by the way, they're barren. And, and if you understand what that was like in that culture, uh, for people uh, to be serving God and, and loving him in a religious space and doing all of the right stuff and to still have suffering in their lives when nobody would believe was really believing that they were truly righteous but what he does in all of this is he just completely torpedoes the prosperity gospel because we have righteousness and barrenness these are people who are doing everything right for god everything right for God. They're serving him completely and wholly and they've got miserable things happening in their lives. And that's true for some of us in this place. Uh, we, we think that Christianity is a perfect formula where if we do all of the right stuff, only, only good things are gonna happen to us. But the reality is we live in this crazy broken world where there's a battle still unfolding and we're caught in the middle of it. We're caught in the middle of it as agents of the king trying to bring traction to this idea that the king is actually king of kings and lord of lords. And, 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 and what we're introduced to here at the very beginning of this story is, is the impossible plot, the impossible problem to solve for, for Zachariah and Elizabeth. Like this is an impossible problem. They, they're old, they've been serving God 
and they're barren, it's just not working for them. As some of you know that your lives are in that place, we know that our lives are in that place. Like, how can we, we've done the best we can. We've done everything we know. We've tried uh, to make it right before God. We've tried to serve in our best possible way. We're giving and we're tithing and we're volunteering at church. And, and we've been doing this for 30 years that since we became uh, Christians when we were 13 years old. And yet still, this stuff is going on in my life. Uh, and that stuff is there so that we know that the formula doesn't work, but that our dependence has to be absolutely on God. And it's in that recognition of the impossible situation that God can sometimes come and interrupt us and speak. And just to pull another idea out, uh, one Zechariah, he was, he was chosen in this moment where he's about to encounter the angel, he was chosen completely by lot. That this coming uh, into this experience with God was completely out of his control. It was completely out of his control. Like, roll the dice, flip a coin, uh, what's going on? And I think that's an important part for us as we imagine our lives as part of this incredible epic adventure is that a good part of the adventure just simply isn't in our control. It's just not in our control. Uh, he, He couldn't do all the right things and make it work. But God chose to intervene in this situation. It says this, uh, an angel of the Lord appeared to him and fear fell upon him. And fear fell upon him. The other important part, if we're really honest about our journey of faith, is that there are going to be moments when surprises happen. There are going to be moments when crazy stuff goes down that that happened outside of our control, uh, that surprised us, that caused us fear. And in this case, uh, when we look at that word fear, like if you've got an angel like standing uh, beside you by the altar, that's, that's maybe terror, but it's also wonder. It's wonder. And that's just, not, that's just something that we as North American Christians uh, have to capture, especially we in the Ottawa Valley. Like we are so reserved and we are so staid and we were so locked down in our emotions. But Zachariah was able to react to this uh, event that had happened and just let it hit him in his heart in the deepest place. How many of you like, like really experienced in worship or let yourselves experience in worship a revelation of who God is and just let yourself be overcome by wonder. He's massive. He's glorious. He's huge. And that should impact our hearts. But we are so buttoned down. We are so... I think Jim's, Jim's getting this if nobody else is. Jim's getting this. Maybe we should sit you up front, Jim. Is that a good idea? Right? Like, wonder. Like, he's wonderful. He's amazing. He's glorious. And we are sometimes so deadpan. You are allowed to respond to the glory and presence of God. To respond to the glory of God. And so after, after that, uh, the angel comes to him and he says this. He says, the Lord has heard your prayer. 
Prayer is an important feature of your epic adventure. You know, some of us, again, coming from our North American perspective, our ideas of the sovereignty of God and of who he is, uh, we have a, a version of God that looks a lot more like a supercomputer than a, than a person <laughs> in many ways. We've talked about this uh, so many times before. Like God is absolutely sovereign. He is absolutely king of the universe. But all over the scriptures, we have these crazy verses that talk about God hearing people and responding to them. We have to live as though prayer actually matters and prayer actually makes a difference. For some of us, if we want to move this story forward and we want to be part of this story, you know, when we pray, uh, we, we often think, like, like some of us, like, why should I even pray? God knows what's going to happen. Like he knows what's, what's going down. Uh, so, so what's the point in this? The reality is, is that in his sovereignty and in his glory and in his power and in his immutability, he has made himself available to you. And in his self-limitation, he has allowed himself to be a God who, when he hears your prayers, his heart is impacted. That is sovereignty that's who he's made himself sovereignly to be. Someone who can hear you. And so the Lord, after all of these years, uh, responds uh, to the prayers of Elizabeth because he wants through them his purpose, the birth of John, uh, to come forward. And it says this, he, he must not drink wine or strong drink. That's just cultural. That never applies to any of us now. Um, <laughs> Uh, and, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has to be, if you want the epic adventure in your life, the Holy Spirit has to be an important part of the fellowship. The Holy Spirit has to be an important part of your journey. Uh, for John, and we don't understand how this works. If John is filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, can I be like part filled with the Holy Spirit? Like, am I, am I a measuring cup and have I got like a quarter cup of Holy Spirit? Or have I got like a, you know, if I got, I've got one of those eight cup Holy Spirit measuring cups or however that works, I don't know how it works. But, but the reality is we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And if we're wrestling with so many things in our lives, we're, we're struggling, our story, our epic journey isn't going forward. For so many of us, that's such an important uh, first place to start is saying, Lord, would you just fill me with your Holy Spirit? Would you fill me with your Spirit? Now, now we who, who grew up, like if I grew up Baptist, I didn't even know what that was. I didn't even know. Holy Spirit was like blah, 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 blah. Like, like those words just did not compute for me, right? But the Holy Spirit is a person of the Godhead and you need to invite him into your adventure. Invite him into the journey. He's someone who moves the story forward. And so just looking at the story now, here is Zechariah. He's standing before the angel. The angel has filled him with awe. The angel has said, God has heard you. You're going to get the story. It's going to happen. A miracle is going to happen in your life. And, and of course, uh, Zechariah's response to all of this is awesome. Thank you, Jesus. I'm so glad you've done that. No, Zechariah's... Uh, response, just jumping ahead, is, well, how shall I know this? 
He's filled with awe. He's in the Holy of Holies. The angel Gabriel has been sent to talk to him. And he's like, basically saying, I don't believe you. <laughs> right? That's what he's saying. I don't believe you. Like, like show me something. That's what he's saying, right? And, and we just have to know as people that we wrestle with this all the time. We can see the miracles of God. We can see the stuff. We can know about it. We can know in the scriptures. We can be told about it. Like Zechariah was told about it by, by an angel and by uh, these incredible experiences that he had. But there's something in our hearts that has to uh, be able to say, okay, God. Because what we see in the rest of the story, if we don't say that, okay, God, if we say like, what's up, I don't believe you? The angels get cranky. <laughs> right? The angels get cranky. Like, like, can you imagine the angel Gabriel? Like, dude, I just appeared before you. I'm the angel Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I'm here with you in the Holy of Holies. And you're like, you don't believe me? Like, who are you going to believe? Like, what's up, man? God, take this, you're going to be dumb. Right? Do you, do you imagine angels talking like in a British like voice? Oh, Zechariah, I shall strike you dumb from this time forth. And is that how you think angels speak? I think he flipped out. I think the angel Gabriel flipped out like, dude, I'm right here. Come on, man. Like, ah, shut up. That's what the angel did. He said, just shut up. I don't want to hear it anymore. Like, who the heck do you think I am? And I think God says that to us sometimes when we come to him with doubt after doubt after doubt after doubt. Like sometimes he just wants us to move and say, yes, God, let's go where you're going. And this is, this is not an easy thing for me as a person. And I know it's not an easy thing for you, but we want to have something in our hearts that responds. And, and, and it's called faith. And we know, like from earlier in the story, that, that faith and following Jesus doesn't work in this perfect, beautiful equation where if I have the right measure of faith, uh, the magic gumball machine works and I get what I want. We know, like, like Luke just told us, that's not how it works. But at the same time, all over the scriptures, we're also not saying that faith has nothing to do with it. Because faith does have something to do with it. Even about our salvation, look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Six And without faith, it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and rewards those who seek him. There's something about the inclination of our heart towards God that moves you as the plucky hero through the narrative of the story. To have a heart that's going to respond to the calling of God and say, I don't even know exactly what this looks like. I don't know exactly how to do it, but I'm going to go forward. Jesus encountered it when he was doing miracles in, a, in certain places uh, where he said, there's just not enough faith in this place for me to do miracles. Again, we don't know how that equation works and there's a mystery there, but we want to be up there in the faith equation. Like, I'm willing to trust you with this and take a step, God. I'm willing to take a risk. 
Faith is spelled not F-A-I-T. How do I spell that right? F-A-I-T-H. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K, right? Like, am I going to take a risk? Am I going to take a little bit of a risk? Yeah. And we see this right at the very heart of the gospel. If you're here and you're wrestling with Christianity, is this, is this something I could do? Could I possibly follow Jesus? Like, like, like how does this work? Uh, we see it right at the heart of the gospel. You've seen it at a football game on a sign. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned because they have not believed in God's one and only son. We usually don't read that part. And this is, I, I was just so, Doug's not here, I was so proud of Doug Howie uh, at, his, uh, at his mom's funeral uh, yesterday, uh, visiting, when I was there at the funeral, he spoke, he just wanted me to be at the back to wave at him while he was speaking, just to have someone cheering him on, and, uh, and, and he was going to read this verse, John three sixteen. and he's like, I want to really challenge my family about their faith and about their decision to follow Jesus, and I'm going to read the whole thing. But whoever believes in him is not condemned. And so he reads this to his family. But whoever does not believe in him stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. That same belief in Jesus that you had if you're a Christian when you accepted him into your heart, it's just that exact same belief in him that gives you the courage to lay hands on the sick and pray for a miracle. It's just believing him. It's not believing a whole bunch of stuff. It's just believing that that person that you gave your life to is interacting with you in the present, that he is near you, that you're walking with him, that that wasn't just a one-time event, that you're a plucky hero in a giant epic adventure. And he wants you to be a mover in that adventure. He wants you to go forward in it. That's what he wanted from Zechariah. The verdict is this, light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds are evil. And for so many of us, it, it actually doesn't come down to a question of whether we believe God is going to do it or not. For so many of us, it comes down to we prefer our safe lives over a life of crazy adventure. You guys know the story of, of the Hobbit, of Bilbo, and how reluctantly he went running out the door with his handkerchiefs in his hand to go with a crazy bunch of dwarves across the world to go try to steal something from a dragon. We want to be the plucky hero who doesn't know exactly what's going to happen, but we just grab the stuff we've got and go running out the door to follow Jesus wherever he calls us to pray for the sick, uh, to care for those who are lost, to care for the poor and the broken. And when we begin to do that stuff, that's when our real adventure begins. And that's when the story gets fun. That's what we're called to. The dream is to live an epic, glorious adventure. You don't want to have a boring life. Let's stand.
Holy Spirit, come. Would you uh, root each person uh, in this Christian story that actually happened? Give us the confidence that Luke wanted us to have in the facts of the story. Would you let each person see themselves as the plucky hero who plays his part in, in the great battle to see that the true king is enthroned on the earth? Give us that sense of purpose. Fill us with your spirit. Encourage our hearts and cause us time and time again to make the risky choice to pray the prayer, to care, care, to do the thing in the moment that we're called to do. I pray for each of us here in this room and myself included to not make the boring choice, to choose the adventure, to respond to you with faith and to let your kingdom come. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. Thank you for this great adventure. We love you. Amen. Amen. God bless you.